think it was Brecht, said that it, it's a mirror that we hold up to society. Mm. And so if only a few people are, are, are granted the privilege of being able to hold up that mirror, then we only get society mirrored back to us from that particular point of view. Right, okay. Um, and... It's a place where we go, you know, the theatre is the seeing place. It's the place that we, where we go to see ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, just having people, just having people come to, for example, the gods of strangers who are mono, monolingual people and saying how much they enjoyed the experience and how they felt for the first time uh, a real understanding of what it felt to be a cultural outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they have to uh, read the Italian and the Greek in the in the surtitles. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Elena Karapetis. Elena is a resident artist at State Theatre Company South Australia, a NIDA graduate and a highly accomplished actor and now playwright, including State Theatre's latest, The Gods of Strangers, a play set in 1947 Port Perry in regional South Australia and is inspired by Elena's childhood growing up in the region, her own ancestry and oral histories of Greek, Cypriot and Italian migrants. We go on a wonderful journey from Elena's childhood playing as cast and audience in the backyard in Port Perry, and we discuss cultural diversity and respect, theatre and the arts, and the importance of hard work to become successful, and how young people simply driven by the desire to be famous is just a little bit scary. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... Thank you so much for, for joining us today, Elena. That's it's really that's a pleasure. Where, where are we today? Like, where, where are we doing this? this oh, is, well, this is in the props warehouse of State Theatre, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, so, we're at. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for that, having that, me. That's, this that's is great. my first podcast, <laughs> so I'm very excited, and I know I'm in excellent company with your other amazing guests that you've had on. Uh, so we are currently sitting at uh, the old Wigan Sun yeah. uh, Paper Factory that State Theatre Company have uh, temporarily rented as a space for rehearsal, for workshop, for wardrobe, for production and to store a whole lot of our costumes and props yeah. and stuff like that. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a theatre wonderland yeah, in it's here. Good. We've got yeah. some nice background music going on. Um from the sound engineer? Yeah, from uh, Andrew Howard, yeah. who is a sound and, and music designer and composer. Yeah. And he's got, got his little... We're surrounded by an assortment of different chairs and yes. couches. Yes, and, and who knows retro... what famous bo- uh, bottoms have uh, have <laughs> sat on these chairs, which yeah. have, have uh, probably graced the stages of the Dunstan and the space and cool, other places, yeah. yeah. Um, and myself and my wife, Christine, and, and, and two of our guests... 
went to the Adelaide opening night of the Gods of Strangers last Thursday night, and that was amazing. That Thank was, you. That was great. So, and you had an opening night in Port Perry the night before? Uh, the week before. The week before. Okay. Yes. So uh, I'm the resident artist at State Theatre Company yeah. South Australia. And uh, so I'm lucky enough to get to act in plays, write plays. And uh, as of next year, I'm I'm directing something. But um, part of what has happened that I think is a great development for our company is a regional touring strategy. Yeah. Because we're the State Theatre Company, we're not yeah, the Adelaide Theatre right. Company. Uh, and yes, yeah, so Geordie Brookman, our artistic director, approached me a few years ago and said, um, you're from the country, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you want to write a show about Piri? Uh, and I said, well, it'll have to be about my family because that's where my ancestors took root mm. in Australia. So, um, yeah, we and, and we thought it would be really important not only to make a show about the region and to go to the region, but to actually premiere the work yeah, in the region. That's, that's great. Yeah, which and it was, went really well. It was packed, and I yeah. heard that I heard somebody, one of the um, your foundation um, members, saying that it was so good and it was so engaged with the audience. The audience was actually participating at different times. <laughs> they really were. It was. Tr- it was a really. Um, Geordie described it as an unvarnished audience, which I think is really beautiful way to to describe it. Um, you know, there was there's a line in the play that refers to a particular um, an old uh, department store that unfortunately has just closed down in Piri called Prests, and so a character mentions, you know, for stockings you go to Prests on Ellen Street, and the whole audience just erupted into like this gasp and laughter and roar of, oh my god, we know that place, that's our town, mm. it's actually our town. So, and that's really powerful. I think, for an audience who's never seen themselves reflected back mm. to, have that, to have that experience. And in fact, one of the people who was at the, at the show in Piri, she said to me, so when you take this show to Adelaide, you're going to change all the streets and you're going to call it Port Adelaide, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I said, no, we're going to call it Port Piri. And she went, what do you mean? You're going to call it, it's going to be Piri for yeah, the yeah, remainder yeah. of the season. I said, yeah, forever. Like, it's forever going to be Port yeah. Piri. And she couldn't believe that because she felt like she came from such an insignificant place. Mm. And um, to have that kind of validation to go, no, it's an important place. Of course it's important. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah. It was did like a football field. Uh, yeah, I did. I was born in Wyala. Yeah. And uh, but my, my mum and dad met in Piri. My dad was born in Piri. And uh, my brother was born in Piri. We had a quick hiatus to Wyala where I was born and then we moved back there until I was about eight Okay, so. well, that's good. So every one of these interviews, except the first two, we started those ones a little bit differently, but we've asked our guests to go right back to when they were a child and say what they were like as, in your case, a, a young girl. So what were you like as a, you said eight, but what, what, pick an uh, eight, what were you like as a young girl? As a young girl, um, uh, I was very, uh, my mum and dad like a lot of migrant people, worked really hard. So I was raised by my mum and dad and my grandmother and my godmother. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to kindy and my yaya or my nuna would come and pick me up and I would spend a lot of time on my own in the backyard making up stories and pretending and singing and all of that kind of thing. So I was... You know, and I'm the second of two, so there's a particular personality, I guess, that goes with that. And my, I've got an older brother, 
and I grew up in a very patriarchal culture. Um, what does that mean? So someone who so, maybe didn't grow up in what, what you call it a patriarchal Well, yeah, um, like the boys are, like my mum and dad adore me, don't get me wrong, as does my whole family, but there are certain rules that uh, apply to boys that don't apply to girls as, you, as you're growing up. Mm. And so... Um, you know, there was, you know, those traditional sort of gender structures were there. Mm. Um, and I, you know, and I didn't like wearing dresses. I liked wearing pants yeah, and yeah. I didn't like playing with dolls. I liked to play with trucks and all of that kind of thing. So <laughs> I so liked did to play, you play with, with trucks. I played with dolls yeah. and trucks. Yeah. I played with whatever dolls in was, trucks. was yeah, <laughs> dolls in trucks. That's right. <laughs> um, so I was, yeah, I was a weird little girl. I think, I think I was weird. Oh, well, in, in these interviews, a lot of people, <laughs> and, it, and it's a beauty of it because a lot of people, were weird or felt different or... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. We, yeah. we interviewed Andre Eichmeier only in a recent episode ah, and, yeah. and he said, well, he goes, oh, I was, I felt really awkward and different and not comfortable and, and, and that's, that's yeah. that nice thing when you get to be an adult, you can reflect back on that and say it without kind of fear because that's, what, that, what, that's yeah. what grounded you. So, so you were almost creating little plays in your backyard... Yes. As a child, is that, is that yeah, right? Well, yeah, well, so my mum and dad had a news agency yeah. and they used to get boxes of things and I'd, you know, be in the backyard and I'd make forts and castles yeah. and stuff and, and you by know... By yourself, usually? Of, by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where my brother was. I think he was playing soccer or something like that, but I spent a lot of time on my yeah. own as a kid. You were the casting audience. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I uh, yeah I, I spent a lot of time on my own, and you know you talk to kids who are do, who who have had that background, or like for example another like this beautiful artist um, called Kate Mulvaney, who's an actor and a playwright. Mm. She was quite ill when she was a kid, and she spent a lot of time on her own, but in a hospital bed, yeah, and so yeah. that kind of forged her creativity and her imagination yeah, as well. So though my situation was different and had nowhere near the hardship that Kate had. It was similar in that I spent a lot of time on my own. Yeah. But taking advantage of, I'm going to say, like taking advantage of that boredom, like, you, like rather than just being bored and sitting in the corner going, what do I do? You, yeah. You're going, I'm going to do some stuff yeah. with that and use your imagination, unlock your imagination. and Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, we didn't have the, you know, we didn't have iPhones, no, we didn't have iPads. Right. You know, I think television, kids' television was on for like 47 minutes on the ABC <laughs> in the afternoon and that was it. There was nothing yeah. else. There was a test pattern, yeah. you know, when I was growing up. But, um, yeah, so it forced, it forced me to... To engage my imagination. Yeah. So you uh, born in Wyala and then moved to Port Perry. What, what age were you when you went to Port Perry? Uh, I was like six months old. So yeah, I had okay. very. Right. I, I, so I was, most of your younger childhood was in Port Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, living in a really tight knit community. Is that right? Is that yeah. the sense? Yeah. yeah. Tight knit in terms of. Um, your family or tighten it in terms of the broader community? Both, yeah. both. Because it was a relatively small town, everybody knew each other. Um, like my brother and I, my brother's uh, two and a half years older than me and, you know, we used to catch the school bus on our own from when mm. I was four, you know, and that was perfectly fine yeah. and, and it was a safe community, it was multicultural and it was like the most natural thing in the world growing up with all that these things. That it was a multicultural community. Yes. So what did that mean to you? Like, like it just you just seeing different cultures and... Yeah, it just meant that I didn't feel like I was an outsider because yeah. I spoke another language. I felt that when I moved to Adelaide and when I went to school here right. because it was a lot more monocultural. Yeah, okay. But in Piri, 
I, I um, and I don't know also whether it was because I was at that age where you're completely unselfconscious as well. Mm. Um, so what age was that in? So I, I moved to Adelaide, or I moved, we moved to Adelaide when I was about seven or eight. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I, um, I went to a school that was very uh, Anglo yeah, background. Okay. So my brother, my cousin and I and a few other Greek kids were there, a um, couple of First Nations kids couple of Italian kids but that's it like yeah, we were really okay. far and few between and um, I used to try and disguise my lunch as a Vegemite sandwich Is but that? it didn't work. So what did you have? Oh you know huge <laughs> slices of you know continental bread with 27 different fillings and you know get teased mercilessly and I used to, all I wanted was a Vegemite sandwich um, you know you go to school with a lunchbox full of Don Mothers and kids yeah. Yeah. Oh, you What's eat that? leaves. Ooh. Is and that now, right? Is that? Yeah. yeah. And the irony is that years later, my my family opened restaurants and ate that very now food. All the kids want to be in your club. Exactly. <laughs> so, did you go back to Port Perry much once you left to, to, to see family and the likes? Yeah. My uh, my my grandma. Well, she's my mum's auntie actually. So she adopted my mother. My mother came out from Cyprus to be adopted by her auntie who lived in Piri. Um, but I still called her Yaya, still called her grandma. So she was still there. Um, my godmother's still there. Many friends and and um, and just and you know people that are like family who mm. I who I call uncle and auntie, even yeah. though they're not blood relative, they're still there. So we we would travel back and forth. Yeah. Pretty often. What was your observation? I, I, I spent my first two years in Swan Hill, Victoria, so then we left and went to Melbourne mm. and most of my parents, um, siblings and families lived in Swan Hill. They stayed there. So we'd, about once a year we'd go back and we'd, we'd see them and mm. being an outsider, you'd have a perception of that, that town, a, a lovely mm. town, um, that maybe, maybe they didn't have if they were so close. But what was your, as someone coming in to Port Perry to, to see the family, did you have a perception that... Changed from the time, obviously you were quite young when you lived there. But what? yeah, I think when I at first, whenever we went back, because I was you know prepubescent, it was really comfortable. It was like getting into an old, warm, familiar jacket yeah. going back to Piri. Um, and then you know when the teen years hit and you become more aware of wanting to go out and do things with friends and stuff, it's. I, I think deep down it still felt like a a comfortable, beautiful, warm, familiar jacket. But I was also aware that um, there was so little to do. I mean, there was a lot to do, but a lot of people had moved from Piri um, and moved to Adelaide. So, um, you know, when you get when you get into those awkward teen years, uh, you don't want to admit that you're a part of a community that, you know doesn't fit in so I was like a Greek Cypriot country girl who had brown skin and brown hair and uh and weird lunch and you know I I I guess all of those things that I think are real gifts now that Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to have um my culture um, and my melanin in my skin. <laughs> um, but, someone who has none. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything. but no, right. um, Yeah, but, you know, to when you're in those teen years, all you want to do is fit in. And, um, yeah, I guess it was – it kind of, I don't know, made me – yeah, made me feel not embarrassed or ashamed but just – I wanted to be from a bigger place yeah. when I was a teenager. And then you had that realisation as more of an adult 
of what yeah. I, what it offered. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think just my kind of connection to it, the fact that my grandparents put their toil literally into the earth because they were farmers mm-hmm. and that the sacrifices that they made and everything that they cultivated, um, pun intended, you know, not only the, the, the food and mm-hmm. everything that they cultivated but the family and the love and the community. Um, I come from a really great family. I'm yeah, so yeah. lucky. Like I, 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 mm. I'm really acutely aware of of how fortunate I am to have the family that I have because there's lots of us and we all love each other and we go through ups and downs but like I had big fat Greek Christmas at my house a few years ago and you know a hundred people came through the door and that's just my dad's side because my mum's side's all in the UK and in Cyprus but um so yeah I think as I'm getting older I'm appreciating more and more the significance of Piri mm-hmm. in in terms of my DNA and my history. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I think you need it. I wonder sometimes whether you need that overcoming those teenage years or that maturity to be able to see it. Almost like you, you, you do get back to looking at what your DNA is or of where you come from. Where, where did you? When did you catch the the uh, the theatre or the acting bug? And I understand you went to NIDA or you, like yeah. you sort of went through in it. And studied. Like when, when did you get that? When did you decide that that was a direction I wanted you wanted to go in? Well, um, I had uh, my mum sent me to ballet when I was very little mm-hmm. in Piri. So the first stage I went on was in Piri, yeah. and uh, then because I grew up in Adelaide during the Don Dunstan years when drama was taught at primary schools when we moved to Adelaide. I did drama at school. I did drama through high school and um, I was like, I was always the weird kid, but then I was like the weird nerdy drama kid. So at least that was like, <laughs> it was a bit more specific mm. and easily digestible by other kind of peer groups in school. Yeah. Um, and I just really, I really liked performing. I liked making up stories. Um, so once I left, I did drama in year 12. I did a degree at Adelaide Uni in classical studies and drama. I worked for a theatre and education company for two years and then I auditioned for NIDA and I got in. And so... Because all the things you hear from an outsider's perspective, that's very hard to get in and and is that... Yeah. Is, is that, was that a... Obviously there's a lot of work to get to that point but was it... What was the sort of feeling when you, you oh, get accepted into something like NIDA? It was amazing because I... Um, I just auditioned to see what it was like. Mm. I auditioned for the experience because I, you know, I heard about this school called NIDA that all these amazing actors went to, and uh, so I thought I'm I'm just going to audition. And I think because I didn't, my audition wasn't about getting in; it was about enjoying the experience and getting an opportunity to perform. Uh, I think that was. Probably because I, I never thought I'd get in. Because mm. I think the year that I auditioned, about 3,000 people auditioned, yeah. like a huge number of people auditioned, and they accepted 24 people. Um, and yeah, and then, uh, the, the, but the more I, the, the, the closer I got, because you, you do the first monologue and then the second monologue, mm. and then you there's a first cut and then I got back to the afternoon and then I got back to the round after that and then I got called back the next day and then I was shortlisted and so the the closer it got the more I realized I really wanted it Um, and my mum and dad 
really supportive. They were worried because, you know, saying to your parents, you know, from my culture anyway, I want to be an actor. It's it's like you what you want to do what? Like, Why was that? The security or was it? Yeah, I mean, um, all of the people in my family my are really high achievers, so. My cousin uh, Jonathan Carapetus is a is a professor of medicine. Yeah. Um, my cousin Joanne Chapley runs a successful business and is about to enter politics. Um, like my brother was a really successful restaurateur. So, you know, everybody who does who who, who goes into any kind of uh, career in my family does really well. Yeah. And I guess there's just those stories of you know the the struggling actor and it, the, the, mm. the struggle is real. It's absolutely a difficult, difficult time, career choice, um, but it's also a calling. And if there was anything else I could have thought of that I really wanted to do, I would have done it because I knew how, how challenging yeah. it would be. That's an interesting insight into yourself as well, that there's that DNA of, of hard work yeah. like, from your family. that all like Your, your family are hard, hard workers to get to be the best of what they do is, is that right is that is totally that yeah. totally I mean my mum and dad uh, forced me into child labour when I was about <laughs> 12 we opened a restaurant at Westlakes um, uh, in 1982 and um, you know I worked in restaurants uh, pretty much until four years ago our last restaurant was called Zach's at Westlakes and you know I, I worked in restaurants mm. for all that time is that just so that it's something that like your family like you, people Nowadays, it's like tiger parents, or like there's parents that are kind of trying to bring the best out in their children. Mm. But for your parents, was it just was it like what did they do to encourage you to be the be the best and to Look, strive? Yeah, I don't think my parents. Yeah, yeah, I don't think my parents were tiger parents. They wanted me to be happy, but what they thought happiness was looked a very specific way. Mm. Um, so. But my parents are also incredible because they've evolved. So my mum had this dream for me that I'd, you know, be a Greek princess and wear pretty dresses and get married and have kids and maybe be an accountant or something like that. And um, because that was her dream, that's what she was. She was taught that for her that was success because my mum wasn't able to go to school past primary school, and my mum only ever worked in. in you know menial menial jobs, she worked really hard, as did my father. So to kind of get my parents to accept that what what they think made me happy was actually quite different to what I knew would make me happy yeah. was and some and some some uh, children of migrants don't have parents who evolve like that. Mm. And so I've been very lucky because when my parents say all we want is for you to be happy, they absolutely mean it. Yeah, okay. But I think the work ethic uh, has really helped me because y- 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 it is, it's, being an artist is a bit like being in a cult. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to work your ass off yeah. and you have to – and it's a practice, so it's not like you're ever done. You have to mm. keep reengaging in your practice yeah. to get better. So if you said I'm going to be in, I'm going to go into acting, and they saw you not working very hard or, or sleeping in every day, yeah. they'd start to question your decision. But the fact and you're working commitment. hard towards that, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. The gods of strangers. So obviously, there's a there's a journey you, you go through to get to get to that point. Mm. You mentioned earlier on that that Geordie was talking to you about a. A, a play or to write a play like what like how do you was that was the gods of strangers obviously seated 
many, many years ago or was it, did it sort of come in more recent times or? Oh, look, I've always wanted to write something about my family. Yeah. I mean, or by always, I mean, I, I started writing quite late. I didn't start writing till I was 40. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but I always thought that my, my, my family's story represented the story of a lot of migrants. Um, and often when those stories are portrayed by people, uh, are, are written and made by people, um, for example, Arthur Miller has written a beautiful play called The View from the Bridge. Mm. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. But he writes that as a kind of a cultural tourist because he's not an Italian American. Um, so, it, so the fact that this play, I, I really wanted to write something from the heart. And I thought it was really important that a story finally gets told by someone who is from the center mm. of that experience. Mm, mm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's like everybody has an amazing story. That's the thing. Mm. I mean, I'm sure if I sat yeah, down and right. spoke to you about your story and your family, yeah. I could write a play yeah, about it yeah. easily. But do um, those stories sort of roll around in your mind and like almost play acting in your head as you go through life? And then when you when you get to the point of now, I've got to write. Yeah, a play, they all they all come together. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Well, um, I didn't quite know what I would do, but I knew that. I, I inter- like I talked to my mum, I talked to my dad, I talked to uncles, aunties. I looked at uh, Trove. There's a great, um, you know, they 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 digitise all the old newspapers and stuff like that, and did a whole lot of research. Um, but then I realised that there was a great opportunity to also represent the Italian migrant experience in Puri. And though I'm not Italian, there is a great parallel between the Greek and Italian experience, though they are quite mm. different. I grew up around Italian people my whole life. Um, one of my cousins is uh, adopted and she is genetically Italian. Yeah. So I've always felt a, a real kind of kinship and connection with with Italian mm. people and culture. So, uh, and I also, of course, um, checked in with the Italian artists who are, who are involved in the play yeah. To make sure that I was being respectful and appropriate yeah, to their cultural okay. needs, so um, yeah, and then you just kind of have all these kind of fragments of story, and it's my job. It's almost like I have to weave them mm. together into an into a compelling narrative. Yeah, wow, isn't that? And you went for a study trip to which did you yes. go to? Where, where did you go? I went to the mothership. I went to Greece. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> and then I also went to Cyprus, which yeah. is where my mum's from. So what so were you looking for when you were like, like, did you just go there going, well, I'm looking for some inspiration or? Yeah, I don't know what I was looking for. <laughs> I also went to Molfetta, which yeah. is where all the Port Piri uh, Italians are from. Yeah. Not all of them, but a, a good majority. So uh, I just was like, I haven't, I hadn't, I'm so sorry to say I hadn't been back to Greece for 30 years. Mm. Uh and so I went back not quite knowing what I was looking for. I immersed myself in the culture. I immersed myself in the language, uh, in the rhythm of Greek people, in the uh, musicality of the language, in the muscularity of the way that people move through the world, the way they eat, the way they greet each other, the way they speak to each other, mm. how, how much more present they seem to be with each other. There's as many... Than, than, than Australian. Than, yeah, yeah. Like, there's as many iPhones in yeah. Greece, but they, they're... They're on the, they're in their back pocket when yeah, they're at a cafe. Yeah. You know, people take the time to really talk to each other. 
That social um, engagement. Yes, yeah, okay. and it's a bedrock of the culture. Um, I went to Igaria where my dad, my dad hails from Cyprus, where my mum hails from. So, and I have to say that dipping into the waters, both figuratively and literally, mm. <laughs> of those places really added in a whole other layer of nuance to the next draft that I did of the play. Yeah. And can you explain that a bit more about sort of what, what were the sort of the aspects you kind of bought from those those cultures that maybe you needed to go there to actually take pick those up? Uh, so though the culture in Greece, Igaria, Cyprus, Molfetta has obviously evolved mm. since the nineteen forties, because that's what happens. Um there's, I think there is an assimilation that happens with migrants here that's expected, understandably so in some in some mm-hmm. in some circumstances. I think that it happens rather than I, I think that rather than expecting assimilation so kind of clear cut and dried that we allow uh, the migrants to kind of contribute and catch up at the same time in positive ways to the current culture because mm. uh, culture does have to evolve. So I was a, when I went to Greece, I was aware of how much of my own Greekness I turned down yeah. in Australia because... Because of maybe being... A, a- not sure about it or... Because it's it's a lot. Yeah, Yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, it's a lot. Energetically, it's quite different to... um, And not that anybody expects me to Mm -hmm. or asks me to, and it is a subconscious thing that I do. I wasn't really aware of it until I went back to Greece. And then I landed and, you know, within five minutes, people are asking me for directions at Athens Airport and and, uh, all the languages coming back to me and... um, and I, you know, a few days later, I was like, my personality makes so much more sense here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I felt like I remembered who I was in a way, yeah. um, which isn't to discredit or disregard that the, the beautiful people that I have in my life here and no one has ever said to me, can you not be as Greek as you are? Yeah. No one has ever said that. But there's just a, there's just a kind of uh, constant awareness, subconscious awareness that I'm in a culture that's dominated by the English language, by um, by a very specifically taught Australian history that is from the, colon- the coloniser point of view mm-hmm. um, and that puts, you know, in, in parenthesis, the discovery of Australia mm. uh, at the centre of our cultural ex- and yeah. social experience still. And I, and I think that, that that impacts obviously the most on our First Nations people, but it does also sort of ripple out to the, the darker-skinned migrant community mm. as well. Yeah. I wonder sometimes in, in Australia that we've got obviously got a strong culture, but I wonder whether our culture is... Is pulled from other other cultures, and I'm just going to. I'm trying to sort of say this in a nice way, but sort mm-hmm. of we're not always culturally confident in, in, in ourselves and, and respectful. I think that the point you just yeah. made was very is respectful. But countries like say Greece or France, or they're, they're very proud of their culture, and they almost sort of hold on. We need to keep the language. We need yes. to keep and Aboriginal cultures would be the same. We yes. need to be very proud of our culture. Yes. 
I guess sort of like from from your research for the gods of strangers and just observation, what are, are there senses of of how Australia and Australians can better embrace like culture and what culture actually means? And... Yes, I think that the first thing that we need to do is. I think it come I think it it stems right from the nature of our colonization of um all of the first nations mm. countries in Australia and I think that until because my mother's country was invaded yeah. as well so Cyprus was invaded as well and um so the any and um this is a this is a politically uh a bit of a hotbed issue mm. But Turkey illegally invaded Cyprus mm-hmm. and have got the northern part of Cyprus. There are people who ran out of their homes with nothing but the clothes on their back. Mm-hmm. And then another people are now to this day living in the, their house right. that they were yeah. forced out of. Yeah. And so um, in a way that's a real, for me, a very personal uh, – I have empathy and compassion not only as a human being – uh, for the suffering and the travesties against the First Nations people of this land, um, but also as a, a descendant of someone whose country has been invaded mm. and whose home has been taken from them. Um, and I think if you look at places like New Zealand uh, where the, the coloniser and the First Nations uh, relationship I think is so much healthier and the government it, there is not embarrassed to say uh, the First Nations people were here first mm-hmm. and and uh, we need to acknowledge that and we need to, and we need to teach this in schools mm-hmm. um, and it needs to be a, on the surface of our uh, of our society mm-hmm. and embedded you- in the way that we uh, that uh, politicians uh, create policy and and and, and cultural change. Um, yeah, it's something that I, I know is really complex, and I don't want to. Like when I have conversations with First Nations people, they they don't, and I hope they don't mind me reiterating uh, what I've what I've said to them, uh, and I respectfully pass this on. But you know, I, I've heard a few friends of mine say we don't want. Uh, non-First Nations people to feel guilty or anything, but just to acknowledge that it's happened and to be willing to listen and mm. to be willing to uh, um, acknowledge that there was suffering and that we need to make some changes. And I, I think until we do that, until we look back properly and really unpack and take responsibility for what happened, we're going to be divided yeah. and we're going to be stilted culturally mm. And we still use still that sense that we've got our head in the sand a little bit, or we don't really want to. It's sort of not yeah. It's it's sort of yucky stuff. So we don't. Yeah, really it's really it uncomfortable, all. and I get I get how uncomfortable Anglo Australians feel about it, and how they get defensive. Mm. I I totally get that, but I also think, come on, open your hearts to the experience that mm. that that you're. Of course, it wasn't our fault, but we are benefiting. Mm from the suffering of other people mm. now even more so than ever before. That's right. And I, yeah, we, we, our 
or one of our interviews, I can't remember which number it was, but Michael O'Brien, mm. who's an Aboriginal elder, and he, he, he had um, similar sentiment. But one of his, I guess, his um, concerns was that, that Aboriginal history, which is very positive and the contribution, yes. isn't taught at schools. It's it, not. Well, he, in his perspective, it wasn't taught at schools as well or it was sort of seen as a... Um, and um, Aboriginal history was seen as a, always a negative, not a positive, and and, yes. and, and that, that was the thing that he, I guess he felt quite concerned about, and um, and he told yeah, and, and and even just how I guess the divisiveness of even Aboriginal culture sometimes he was I was concerned about. Well, there's what, no pan Aboriginality. That's no. the thing. There is not one Aboriginal exactly. culture, um, and you know I I've gotten to know through the through being an artist. I'm really grateful that I've gotten to meet people like Alexis West and Jada Alberts, um, both amazing First Nations women who are, who are artists and writers. And it's through them that I've learnt and had my mind opened to their experience. And I really feel for them because they have to do a lot of the emotional heavy lifting. Mm. And we have the internet now. And I think that if there's no excuse for ignorance anymore, if you, if you really want to know what happened if you really want to know the truth from a, a First Nations person's point of view, then uh, there is no excuse anymore. There are plenty of resources available for you to educate yourself yeah. about those things. So um, Aboriginal culture and Italian and um, uh, Italian and, and Greek and, and other sort of new arrivals. Sort yes. Of, how, how do, what's your sort of your, your learnings from your research for Gods of Strangers? Of, how, how do we... How do you think we should deal with it better moving forward? I think that um, it's a real cliche, but we have to look at the things that we have in common as opposed to the things that that are different to us. Yeah. That culture, even though it's very important, is a construct. That there is one race, the human race. Mm. Um, I was I was listening to uh, another podcast the other day um, where an African-American scholar said, uh, she said that white people are just um, people of colour that have faded as they've moved away from, yeah. the, from the equator. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we all want our kids to be happy. We all want to be loved. Uh, we all want the same thing. We all share the same mm. human heart and if we can all point the, the compass of our heart in the same direction uh, you know great things can can happen and and with um finding those beautiful commonalities within all of our cultures you know things and that's why i think food and breaking bread mm. is such a powerful thing sitting around a fire looking into the fire being present telling stories is a really powerful thing mm. and for me that's what the theater is yeah that's it's right. like going it's like it's a away hearth. from the iphone or the yes. ipad yeah yes it's the modern day hearth yeah yeah. You know, and uh, so for me, it's it's like my church. It's where I go to try to connect with people, to try <laughs> to open people's hearts. And that's one of the big roles that, in my observation, and even the, the work we've done with uh, State Theatre over the years and other arts companies, is the role of the theatre and the arts is about sharing different cultures. And yeah. it's sometimes it's a happy play, and sometimes it's a sad play. And there might be aspects where even the, the, the guys of strangers, there were bits that were. were, were were, were deeply hilarious and, and, and you couldn't help but laugh yes. the, irrespective of the language yes. and, the, and the subtitles and there's other moments where you kind of just suddenly sank and it took you by a bit of a, a left hook but um, what do you see as the role of um, art forms particularly theatre 
in sharing just understanding of different cultures? Uh, there was a practitioner from the US, I forget his name, and I can look it up and give it to you later, mm. uh, but he has a beautiful quote that says, theatre is a gym for empathy. Yeah. And so uh, when, when I was growing up and I would go to state theatre company shows, uh, I loved them, uh, but often they were by, you know, white male American mm-hmm. playwrights or other, other dead white males, but because the work was so specific and so good... Uh, of course, I can, you know, it was my, my, my commonality of humanity with those characters connected and completely opened up. And so it's, I, I think it's great that we're embracing the fact that uh, stories need, and, and all kinds of stories and all kinds of people need to be reflected back and represented. That representation is very important. Mm. Um and just seeing the response of people in the audience who've never seen themselves reflected back at them before mm. has been really moving. Yeah. Um, so what I would like to do is, no matter what your cultural background, is when you come to the theatre and see one of my shows, uh, that even though it's very specific, it's about a specific time, place, person... Um, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter that it's not 100% about you because where you connect, it, it, you do have mm. in common. So, so the arts and theatre, it teaches you, and, and you know, t- the importance of teaching it at schools, it teaches kids how to co- uh, uh, collaborate, it teaches them empathy, yeah. it teaches them imagination. imagination, it teaches them how to problem solve, it teaches them... Um, how to lead if they're if they're leading the the, the product that they're trying to make, um, uh, how to think outside of the square, uh, how yeah. to put the <laughs> the round peg into the square hole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it. You don't necessarily, I think, have to want to become an actor or a theatre practitioner as a kid in order to benefit from from doing drama or mm. art at school. Um, and the same as, you know, being an audience member, I, I think that you you don't have to feel like the people on stage... Um, it, it's almost better that you go and see a play about people you don't quite understand yeah. because I think as I'm getting older, my thing is if I don't understand someone and if I have a completely different point of view to them, please tell me mm. why you think like that. Yeah. Help me Help me understand how you've come to have that opinion and I think theatre is a, a really great medium for yeah, that as yeah. well. I, I, my wife Christine will often, or if she can, she'll read up on the play. Um, obviously she didn't read up on The Gods of Strangers but she'll often read up on it and, and I often, well, maybe because I'm a bit slack, but I often like to not quite know what yeah. to expect and I think it'll just take you by, take a bit of, bit of curveball. I, one of, um, I remember years ago doing I think some focus groups, I'm sure they were theatre goers or maybe another art form, but they said the thing we love about the theatre is you go and 
it lingers with you. So it's sort of like almost like, what does it mean? You're trying to unpack it. You might even after after the play or even a week later go, what, is, what do you think that meant? What, what, this bit here or that bit there? Where you go to a movie, the sense was it's finished. Like yes. it's, even if it's a bit more of a, um, a thought-provoking movie, by and large you finish and it's, all right, that was a good movie. You finished your popcorn and your drink and, and it's done. Yeah. So the theatre, I guess, was a role of, it's maybe because it's people on the stage, maybe it's more immersive uh, because of that, but it's about kind of leaving you with lingering thoughts. And again, sometimes it might be uncomfortable. Sometimes it might not be a happy thought. Um, what, what's your thinking around that? Of- yeah, I think I think uh, a successful night in the theatre for me. I, I don't. I don't think that it's my job as a as an artist to answer anyone's question, mm. but rather to perhaps offer more questions for them to consider and to start a conversation or to continue a conversation from a slightly different point of view once they've left the theatre. So, um, you know, of course I'd love it if everybody loved my work, but some people don't. And I think that that is just as a valid experience. I think that the the response that I don't like getting is, uh, and I don't like having myself, is when you see a piece of theatre you're having a conversation with the person that you're with, the, the show finishes and you pick up the conversation that you were having. Like the theatre has just been like yeah, a blip, okay. a piece of, you know, something that didn't really make you think or mm-hmm. make you consider something from a different point of view or make you furious or make you frustrated or make you want to say, so what was that about? What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. That infuriated me the way that the character did that. Do you think that was intentional? You know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and having that kind of robust philosophical discussion about the work and about what the work brought up in you is 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 phenomenal. I really, I, I get really excited by that. Of course, I would like everybody to love it. But mm. do you think the community? Obviously, you're in a, a space where I'm sure your your circle of friends sort of love the theatre. You had your family at the yes. Was that, did they go to Port Perry? Or did they, they went. Come? Yeah, about twenty five of my family went oh, to Perry, okay. and uh, yeah, mum and dad and my brother were in on opening night. Yeah, yeah, and that you know they weren't pre- uh, traditional theatre goers. They only go to the theatre really because I. I'm yeah. in the theatre. They proud. They're proud as punch, yeah. especially of this. Especially of this. My dad, you know, had tears in his eyes, as did my mum. Um, but you know, I wanted to make a play that didn't alienate people. I think that people sometimes are scared that the theatre is elitist. It's lofty. It um, is hard to follow. Uh, but you know, this in in many ways, The Gods of Strangers is a pretty old fashioned play, mm. and I completely embrace that. And uh, it's, you know, you sit in the dark, there's a proscenium arch, there's a fourth wall and you are told a ripping yarn mm. about about these characters. There's a cliffhanger. A real journey, yeah. yeah, there's a cliffhanger at the interval. There's a tableau sequence in the second That's half. Good. Like it is a bit old world but um, I really wanted to make a play that spoke to that era a little bit as well, mm. that spoke to the era of, the, of 1947. I didn't want any perspex boxes or directed, you know, there are direct addresses from a chorus, almost like a Greek chorus, but, um, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I wanted to make a work that my mum and dad would like mm. and that people like them would like, and it's not to who say, are non theatre goers, who are non theatre goers, yeah, yeah. but theatre goers are really liking it yeah, as well. Yeah, that's 
which is fantastic. But what I think is revolutionary about the play, revolutionary is a really strong word and I'm sorry, I just can't think of a better one at the moment, is that it is in three languages and there's at the centre of the story are three women and they're all over the age of 50 and they're all from non-English speaking backgrounds. And that's really rare to see on stage. Yeah, it was very pure. And and, and again, there were were obviously moments where your your head was sort of... um, Got to got to think, but there was there were really funny moments. Good, <laughs> just about human nature. Do you, do you get a sense that the community is under understands the theatre? Obviously, I, I, I sort of sometimes sense that there are people who love the theatre and people who don't get the theatre. The wider Australian yeah, the community. The wider Australian community. Hmm. I don't know. It's really weird because I've because I'm so immersed in it. I I don't know if I can be completely yeah. objective, but. I do, I do get the experience through my mum and my dad and my brother, um, my cousins uh, and other people who are, um, for want of a better term, civilians, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but, it, you know, I think theatre can get a really bad rap and sometimes for very good reason. Yeah. Uh, and, but I also think that it is absolutely essential that uh, for the greater good of the continuation of the development of the art form, that innovation and experimentation, there is space for that yeah. um, and that artists should be allowed to fail because it is only through our failure that we get better. So, you know, for... for I, yeah, I'm not quite... I know. I know that there's great passion in this country for sport and I think that's marvellous. But I also know that the amount of money that the government puts into the arts and the, for that amount of money they get a massive return and the arts and, cult- and the cultural landscape of Australia contributes around 6.4% of the GDP annually. Mm-hmm. Given that, I think we have a really bad PR problem. Mm. Uh, Where do you think the mismatch is? I think it's because it costs a lot of money to make theatre and sometimes theatre tickets are expensive. I think it's because uh, so often theatre has been made by a very specific slice of the community and society and only particular stories are told. So it's about uh, how expensive it is, the kind of work that's being made and who it speaks to. Um, and also there is there's also I think it's it can be intimidating you know you you go into this big building and what do you do like my mum and dad when they first came to start start coming to see the theater you know I had to say so you have to go to the box office the tickets under your name and then there's seats and the, you know people have to be taught I think we take it take it for granted mm that people know how to behave at the theatre. If I went to a mosque, I would not know how to behave. You know, I would have to be told um, how to to engage in the Mm. the correct protocol. Um, And I think that people maybe when they went to school had some bad experiences being forced to go to to plays that weren't great. Um, And dare I say it, and I hope no one shoots me down for this, but Shakespeare's that were done yeah, probably okay. not as well as they could have been done. So when, yeah. when so Shakespeare school kids. could be done well or not Absolutely. so well. Absolutely. Shakespeare can be the best thing in the world yeah. to see, but it can also be really tedious if it's done badly and it can, it can, it can just kill a kid's passion for theatre forever. 
Uh, so I take that responsibility really seriously as well. I want to give people a great night in the theatre. I think that theatre should, to some extent at least, entertain. Mm. Um, it shouldn't be pure entertainment, um, but what I try to do in terms of the messaging or the questioning that I want an audience to engage in at the end, I like to do that by stealth. Mm. But I would just what I really like to do is provide an audience with a, with a ripping night of theatre and, yeah, okay. and, and a great yarn. Well, you've sort of touched on this already, but sort of... Um why does if come come back to why does theatre man, matter to a good strong culture? What is we're in, we're in Adelaide, but sort of why does it matter to a good strong culture? Because it's, um, I think it was, I think it was Brecht said that it it's a mirror that we hold up to society, mm. and so if only a few people are are, are granted the privilege of being able to hold up that mirror then we only get society mirrored back to us from that particular point of view. Right, okay. Um, and it's a place where we go, you know, the theatre is the seeing place. It's the place that we where we go to see ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, just having people... Just having people come to, for example, the Gods of Strangers who are mono, monolingual people and saying how much they enjoyed the experience and how they felt for the first time uh, a real understanding of what it felt to be a cultural outsider mm-hmm. uh, because they have to uh, read the Italian and the Greek in the, in the surtitles. So they have the privilege and the yeah. benefit of being able to read what's being said, but uh, but they were able to imagine what it was like to be because they're put in as an audience member, as a monolingual audience member, as the person who has to follow the yeah, another dominant right. culture. So to have that, to, to be able to offer someone that experience and for them to accept it so wholeheartedly is is fabulous. And again, it's kind of going, oh, I get it now. I get what it must feel like. To, to have that experience, I understand. I think that's really powerful mm-hmm. and not to be underestimated. I think that's what theatre does. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and that if we kill off our, our artists are like, a little bit like a canary in a coal mine. If things are going downhill, artists are very sensitive to that. In, in society, um, if we're being awful to each other, if we're suffering, if we're so, for example, in Greece um, during the, the 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 financial crisis that happened there, uh, people suffered terribly, uh, and what came out of that was the artists. Uh, and it wasn't like they came together, had a meeting, and galvanised. They just started producing prolifically this incredible art as a response to what was going on. Yeah. Uh, and that will be there now forever as a kind of marker of, of that time in history. Mm. So as, as a part of the wider, uh, the huge amount of material that has, that has accumulated in Greece throughout history. Yeah. Um, did you, in your research trip to Greece, did you see um, an acceptance of theatre and the arts in Greece? Totally. Yeah. It is so how is it different? Like, oh, how is that culturally different about the role of theatre and the arts in Greece compared to Australia? Everyone goes to the theatre. Yeah. It's, it's like a normal thing to do. Yeah. Uh, everyone is... Uh, Why do they go? They, they go because they, 
why do we go to the footy? Yeah, they go because it's an, an ingrained yeah. part of their culture that they're very proud of and yeah. that they want to keep cultivating. Uh, and they go because there is always robust philosophical discussion afterwards. Mm-hmm. They go because they get to see their friends. They go because it tells a good story. They go for, I guess, a plethora of, yeah. of reasons, but they go on a much wider scale than we do. So when I was in Athens, I went to three shows that were on all at once at the National Theatre of Greece. They were all completely different and they were all marvellous. Mm. So there was a View from the Bridge in Greek, which is an, a, a classic Martha Miller. There was Salome, which was a, a text and dance piece, the Oscar Wilde. And then there was another, a new Greek experimental piece called Revolutionary Ways to Clean Your Swimming Pool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was extraordinary. Yeah, and yeah. every night the theatre was full. Yeah, okay. Uh, and from I, all walks of from life. all and, walks of yeah, life. Okay. And I could have gone to see another ten shows while I was in Athens, yeah, but yeah. I ran out of time. So just a much more acceptance that that's just part of a life. Of like, course. Like I look at Australia, sport is a big part of Australian culture and I think people kind of get that, they almost take that for granted. Mm. But the theatre side, and it's not even one or the other, like mm. many theatre goers. Yes, yes. And in Greece, and also the yes. theatre and it's just, it's just the way it is. Yes, but. and Greeks are, are sports mad as well. It's not like you have to choose, yeah. I guess, to sort of go, well, what camp are you in? Are you in the arts are camp? Are you or you? Like, yeah, yeah. Are you in that camp or that camp? And it's, I think, around, you know, this idea of being like a well-rounded individual. You mm. can like a whole bunch of different things and it doesn't take away from, you know, loving sport doesn't take away from your appreciation yeah. of art. And you do, and I think you do have to cultivate a literacy in art to appreciate it and to not feel alienated by it sometimes, which is why it's really great that, you know, we had the Musée d'Orsay come to the Art Gallery of, mm. of South Australia and show that beautiful exhibition and to be able to have kids go and see that work and to have kids go to shows by Patch and Windmill and Slingsby mm. here in Adelaide and indoctrinate them into yeah, theatre right. and then to have them come to our shows at State Theatre Company in, when they're in high school and to make work specifically for them for the education show mm. is really important. Yeah, and often they're... Pl- Pleasantly surprised that they yes. enjoyed it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I, to, to me, it's kind of just going. It, it, there seems to be that disconnect of the com, if the community doesn't get the role of the arts at a broad side, then the government goes, "Well, we don't necessarily need to support because mm. like, the, the, the argument becomes arts versus mm. hospitals, which mm. is not 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 fair." I but, think it goes the other way around, yeah. though. I think what the government does in terms of their funding and their policy. If they take it away, if it's death by a thousand cuts, uh, then people just don't get the opportunity yeah. to engage. So the government in it should be supporting so the community can engage with. Absolutely, it. Yeah, they should. That, yeah, that, yes, that, yes, that's because fair. independent. You know, the, I'm I'm lucky to work for a main stage company at the moment, but I cut my teeth completely in the independent sector, yeah. and uh, we're all interconnected here in Adelaide. We're a small, vibrant, and hardworking community. Um, Corey McMahon's new company, Theatre Republic, uh, an independent company, you know, they just did their show lines and they and they got it up on no money. They got mm. no government support whatsoever and just through 
perseverance Corey and Amanda Weber, his producer, got the show up. And it's so important because there's a whole, there were four young actors in that show who've graduated from drama school within the last five years. And if they don't do those independent works as young actors, they're not going to be able to play King Lear when they're Mm -hmm. older because they won't have the opportunity to hone their craft. Um, So... It's making, Just, that, it's making that medium to long-term commitment yes. to building that arts and community, yes, isn't it? absolutely it is, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not about a, a four-year election cycle or whatever it might be, it's saying this is 15, 20-year strategy of this is what we need to do. Yeah. Yes, which is what you were saying earlier before, which you know, some Scandinavian countries are brilliant at. Yeah, that's right. They understand that it's, 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 a, it's a long-term investment and if art dies, we're done for, mm. really. yeah. Plans for the, the Gods of Strangers. We'll hopefully get this up sort of towards the end of this week, early next week, so yes. we'll hopefully promote it a bit more. Thank but is you. there plans of what it'll do after? Well, we've, we've um, because we've had such a warm response, because uh, it's a really ambitious project, mm. and really you don't know if something's going to work until you get it up in front of an audience, yeah. because the audience is like the final character in the play. Um, because that energetically they affect the work and there's this kind of energetic exchange between the, the actors and the art and the audience. And the audience changes every night yeah. as well. So, um, so I've learnt a lot from the audience by sitting, by sitting in the audience. And, and, How many and, times have you been? Uh, I went twice in Puri uh, and about f- four times here. Yeah, okay. yeah I, I sort of go in and check in and... Yeah and say hi to the actors and give them my love and sometimes some notes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, we've uh, made a commitment to uh, get a company called Kojo to do a four-camera shoot yeah. of, the, of the production because we'd really like people in, the, in small regional centres that don't have theatres that are big enough to house the show to see screenings of yeah, the work okay. because I would really like more uh, regional people to see the work. And with that footage as well, uh, we'd like to... We, we've invited all the sort of uh, artistic directors and um, executive directors of all the main stage companies in Australia to come and see the show. But, it, you know, it's a hard time of year and, you know, for some reason Adelaide is perceived as being this yeah. faraway land. Yeah. But, it's a, it, but it's also the, the, the business of theatre, isn't it? Yes. Really? It's, it's, it's not just producing a play. Some people no. go, that was really cute and nice no. and I liked it. It's actually the business side of you it. You do. Yeah, it's, it's show business. hard work and, yes. and money and, yes. and being able to export it. State theatre's been successful in exporting We have, lot, we have. So. And I'd love to get the show elsewhere. I've sent the script to Stathis Livanos, who is the artistic director of the National Theatre of Greece. I was lucky enough to have uh, a meeting with him when I was in Athens this year and uh, he he was really curious mm. that I was this um, uh, a, a, a part of the um, you know I was a, d- a Greek descendant yeah. part of the diaspora who'd come back and said I'm an artist and I, w- I want to have a conversation with you. He was delighted and a bit perplexed, but he he was really great. So we've sent the script to him, and my dream would be to uh, to have it tour as widely as possible. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful story, you know. I'm Thank always you. fascinated about the what it takes in a, in a mind like yours to be able to pull that story together. There must be a huge amount of sort of um, yeah research and understanding and, and personal passion and experience that yeah. comes into just being able to bring it back to 
um, yeah, a good story. Yeah, I have to acknowledge the amazing work of uh, Geordie Brookman because as well as being an incredible director, he's got a fantastic dramaturgical yeah. eye. He's he's married to a playwright, to yeah. Mick, Nikki Bloom, uh, who's a phenomenal writer. So uh, he his understanding of the way that theatre works and the mechanism of storytelling is incredible and I'm, I, he was absolutely vital and central to the way that the show came together and developed as a script before we had even put it on the floor. That's excellent. Um, look, we've got Geordie set up for next week. So Terrific. I'm looking forward to that. Terrific. Um, we started off with you as a young girl in Wyala and then Port Perry, sort of doing play acting in the back, backyard yes. by yourself as the cast and audience. <laughs> Sounds so sad <laughs> when you put it like that. <laughs> we interviewed... Um, Christy Zulke, um, from and she was she's based in Chicago and got a got a global group and I asked the same question to her and she started off playing with Barbie dolls so there we go yeah. <laughs> so we rip it right back to the, yeah. the um the core core of who they are um, so, so what what would you say is the the key suggestion for young people that could be kids or young adults of of moving forward to have a successful life a successful career uh, I think that. Uh, you need to be hardworking. Don't be ashamed of your failures. Be proud of them because they are going to be your biggest teachers. Yeah. Um, churn out a whole lot of material because that's how you're going to get better. Choose very carefully who you work with. Yeah. And make the work for the sake of the work. Don't make the work for praise. Don't make the work to get famous. Don't it's it's yeah it's it's really funny because i think you know i go to i go to school sometimes and talk to kids and i talk about why they're doing drama and some of them say i want to be famous and uh, a part of me a cranky woman part of me gets really disturbed by that answer mm-hmm. Um, you although have to that's, do the hard work yeah. to, to be good and better and learn and practice and practice and practice. Is that, is that right? I you, agree. Yeah. I agree. But um, but just for fame's sake is not For the fame's right. sake, I think that's just a disturbing kind of indication of how disconnected we're becoming from what's important because that to me speaks of ego. It doesn't necessarily speak of uh, integrity. Mm. Um, but, you know. When you're speaking to kids, that's the thing that yeah. they see and perhaps that's all they're capable of interpreting at that point that's of their the life. And that's it's the world. That's what the world's telling them is important. Yeah. But um, I still think there's not a compromise for hard work and um, and practising and becoming good at yes, things. Yes, it's a practice. And your imagination, I think, that, I, I, that one of the conversations we've had through these shows has been how a robot's different to people with a... People are different to robots because they have imagination. Yes. They can have leaps of faith. They can do all of those things that um, that, that robots can't. So yes. it's about having it. So people actually need, do need to to keep those things alive, away from iPads and iPhones and and, and the like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's a practice. Yeah. And going off your excellent imagination observation. Seeing lots of other art, like going to art galleries, mm. listening to great pieces of music. If you're stuck and you're a writer, try drawing something mm. or read something or 
just engaging in art as much as you can and developing a critical eye that isn't about I like it or I don't like it, Mm. that isn't about your own personal taste, but that instead says what is the intention behind this particular work and is the artist successful Mm. in doing that because just to say I didn't like it, I think isn't going to serve you as an artist because the the thinking in that question isn't But being open to new experiences. There's a a cognitive bias called... um, confirmation bias that we look for things that confirm what Confir- we already know. Yes. So, and that in the arts yes. that comes down to going, I like this style of music and I don't like that style of yes. music. I like theatre or I don't like theatre. Yes. It's been open to experiencing those different art forms is a key part of um, being, yeah. And if you don't like something, asking yourself as an audience member, you actually have to meet the work halfway. Mm. Um and you, you receive that work through the filter of your own taste and experience. So, you know, there's a, very, there's a massive difference, I think, between bad work and work that perhaps you don't like. If the work doesn't have rigour, if it's lazy, if it doesn't respect its audience, etc., etc., and it's bad work, that's one thing. But if it has all of those elements... And there are other people in the audience experiencing it in a different way to you and they're perhaps having a more positive experience and you're not. There's no shame in that. But instead of being dismissive, what I'd really like to see in in people who consume art, including critics, is to question their own response to it and to say, well, why didn't why didn't I why didn't I like read I didn't like reading the subtitles, for example. My question would be, why not? What did it make you feel? What does that tell you about who you are? What does it tell you about who you are in this particular culture at this Mm, time? mm, mm. What does it tell you about your privilege as being a monolingual person living in a multilingual world, for example? And I think these things can really help us to grow as artists and as human beings if we can really be harder on ourselves and interrogate our response to things more. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a nice place to to almost end, other than uh, people can find you via State Theatre. Yes. Any other way they can follow you on? Are you on Twitter? Or, uh, I'm on. I'm on the Twitter. Yeah. I don't what's tweet it, very often, what's you know. Twitter handle if you... Uh, it's Elena Cara says, but if you look up Elena Cara Peters, you'll find me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, or you can, you can contact me through State Theatre Company South Australia. I'm their resident artist there. Thank you so much. That was great. Thank you all for right. having me. All, right. all the best. Thanks for listening, Thank everyone. Jason here to say goodbye until next time. I would love any thoughts or comments you might have on today's show. Message me via Twitter or other social media at Jason Dunstone. If you're interested in receiving our every Friday same time emails on everything human-centered, customer-focused, entrepreneurialism and thinking different, popular articles by me, the Square Holes team and special guests who have included Professor Barry Bergen and Christy Anthony, please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and join our email list where you can also find more information on each episode of Real People. Please subscribe to Real People via iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, please leave a review. If you would like to learn more about Square Holes, the agency I founded in 2004 to conduct and publish customised exploratory research on key markets and population segments, please visit squareholes.com or via LinkedIn or other social media. 
Square Holes is a proud sponsor of the arts, including but not limited to the State Theatre Company of South Australia and the Adelaide Film Festival. We've been research sponsors for more than a decade for those two and we're involved in a number of other companies. If you're a business or government leader, please consider getting involved and sponsoring the arts. I've certainly gained a huge amount personally from my involvement with Patch Theatre and Square Holes's arts partnerships are some of the most rewarding relationships we've had. For example, our small role in the Adelaide Film Festival has helped or played a small part in producing 43 feature-length films, 30 short films and 13 cross-platform art and moving image projects. Uh, and it is great to uh, take our partners and, and team members along to different arts experience and just sort of to uh, to encourage our team members and our clients to to experience different cultures through the arts or think differently and even just that whole what does it take to produce a film or a play and raising money so that just the being involved in those companies has been so um, so rewarding but probably surprisingly so when we first became involved in 2008 2009 with state theater and then the film festival I encourage you to get out and explore your local arts and festivals. The arts are a critical part of any strong, creative, positive culture around the world. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Uru.